Good to see you guys this morning. Glad that you're here. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 this morning. It's today we bring to a close our series called Bring On Tomorrow. Um, and next week we will um, begin a series called Dialing uh, Up Destiny. And so we'll jump into that next week. But this morning we're going to kind of wrap up and give you a place to land with all the stuff we've been talking about uh, over these past few weeks. And we're going to talk about the spirit of tomorrow. The spirit of tomorrow, how your life, how you choose to live it, really does position you today to step into the tomorrow that God has for you. It's important for you, it's important for us as a ministry, it's important for uh, the people that you'll come in contact with and and the days and months ahead, it, it's, it's your life in a nutshell. And so for each one of us today, there's some things that we need to hold on to, that we need to probably take away. And, and so let's jump in. If you have your Bibles open, um, we'll begin in verse 5 and keep them open. We're going to uh, dive into a couple of verses here in just a minute. It says this, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor intend can be, indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Those words will be our canvas this morning uh, for a couple of minutes. And against them, we're going to paint a picture of your future. Uh, We're going to talk about the way that you choose to live life. Uh, To begin with, though, I want to tell you a story about potential. Uh, This is the story of a young lady who attends the University of Miami. During a break, she decided she would not go back home, but instead wanted to see the sights of southern Florida And so she began a journey that would take her through the Everglades. She decided on this journey that she wanted to take home a pair of alligator shoes in the worst way, but discovered that alligator shoes are pretty expensive and didn't have the money to do that and certainly didn't like what the local vendors and peddlers were asking. After becoming very frustrated with the attitude of one of the shopkeepers, this University of Miami student, said, well, then maybe I'll just go out and catch my own alligator and get a pair of shoes for free. Let me pause my story for just a minute. This is a story about potential. And for that young lady, in that moment, in this story, there is now potential bubbling. The potential is that she could save a great deal of money by making her own alligator shoes. There's also potential that this could turn into a great adventure. Loaded with potential. The shopkeeper heard what she said and with a sly smile said, Well, little lady, why don't you just go on out there and give that a try? Again, let me stop the story. There's potential in that statement. 
There's potential because the shopkeeper sees the potential embarrassment of the young lady and sees the potential for her failing at taking on such an enormous task. Potential. Back to the story. So the young lady heads off to the swamps of the Everglades. She goes out in search of her gator so that she can make her own shoes. Later in the day, the shopkeeper closes up his shop and decides to head home. Let me stop the story again. It's a story about potential. The shopkeeper at this point in the story is feeling a little bit guilty. He's feeling a little bit guilty because he was kind of rude to the lady that was there earlier in the day. He felt guilty about that. Realized he kind of blew the moment, probably blew the sale. But he also is feeling a little bit guilty because if she did what she suggested she was going to do, and if she does what he told her to do, he now sees the potential for great harm, heartache, and danger for this University of Miami student. He feels bad about that. You see the potential here in the story. And the story is beaming with potential. He begins making his way home, and as he does, he spots the same young woman that was in his store earlier, waist deep in some murky swamp water right offside the road, with a gun in her hand. Pulls off the side of the road to see what's going on. As he brings his car to stop, he looks, and there's about a nine-foot gator swimming directly toward her. He thinks to himself, this is going to be horrible. And then he watches as this Miami hurricane with lightning reflexes takes aim, shoots the creature, kills that gator dead in the water, grabs it by the tail, hoists that tail over her shoulder, and drags that gator out of the water to the shore. He is absolutely stunned. He watches as she takes that big old gator and flips it over. Boom! And drops it on the ground. And he is standing there watching, and then he notices that right next to where she threw that, there are seven more gators (laughs) lying on their back on the shore. And as his mouth drops open in amazement, she looks toward heaven and she says, Come on, God, this one's barefoot too. That story started with so much potential, didn't it? And somewhere, oh, about hip deep in water, just started to sink. Yeah. We've been talking about potential. We've talked about how potential is God's gift to you. And it is. Everyone in this room is loaded with potential. As a pastor... I have a great wish, a hope for your life. I hope that I don't bury you with that potential. Because you are loaded with potential. That's God's gift. What you do with that potential is your gift back to God. And I can promise you this. Anything less than living up to your potential is going to cause regret will. It will change the quality of your life. 
And people struggle in general with how they define their life. We have a, a very strange perspective on how we see ourselves. I, I expect it from people who um, are outside of the body of Christ. I expect it from our culture. Uh, the problem is that as much as I expect it outside of our outside of, uh, in the culture, I, I don't expect to see this often inside the culture. But we have to be very mindful of how we define ourselves because we tend to define ourselves by what we've done wrong instead of defining ourselves by what Jesus has done right. Let me take that a step further. We define ourselves by the hurtful things done to us instead of what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to understand something. That's your choice. You choose how you will define yourself. And if you choose to define yourself by all the hurt, all the bad stuff, all the things that are happening to you in your world, and that's what you want to choose to define yourself by, that will dictate the quality of your life. If instead you decide to define yourself by all of the good things that Jesus has done, and by the way, he's done a ton of good stuff, and you choose to define your life by that, then you have the possibility of living up to your potential. Because when you start defining yourselves by what Jesus has done for you, then you will begin to see your life differently, and you'll begin to see your life as a blessing, and you'll begin to see that each day is a gift from God, and each moment that you have is a gift from God. And because you start seeing your life as a blessing and a gift from God, then you will in turn bless other people in ways that you never have before because you are defining your life differently, and you choose how to define it. And if you ever want to step into the, the tomorrow that God has for you with all of that unlimited potential, then you've got to make the choice that I'm going to define myself by what Jesus has done for me and all that I can be in him. And that's up to you. You don't have to. Your choice. God loves you enough. He gave you free will. But if you really want to unleash your potential, if you really want the life that God has created you for, then you've got to get off that high horse of your life and quit thinking that the world revolves around you and everything is about what happens to you and how it happens to you. Because the greatest thing in your life is what Jesus has done for you. And until you make that defining parameters of your life, all that other junk is going to keep pushing in and pushing in and pushing in. And it will squeeze the life out of you. It will squeeze the joy out of you. It will squeeze the purpose out of you. It will squeeze the hope out of you. It will squeeze you and you will live your life like a deflated tube of toothpaste in a world of molars that want to eat you up. I didn't say that at 9 o'clock and I'm not sure I should have said it at 11.15. Neither here nor there. But when you see your life as a blessing, then you can be a blessing. And the only way you'll ever see your life as a blessing is you, you start defining your life by what Jesus has done for you. And so I'm going to tell you two things that come out of this passage today that I think are really essential uh, for each one of us as we start the journey that God has for us. 
If you have your apps open, you can see it. If you have the worship flyer, you can see the two things I'm going to say. But the first thing I want to look at with you is what happens when we get stuck in yesterday and we miss tomorrow. Because if you get stuck in yesterday, you will miss tomorrow. Remember I just said you define your life by all that's gone wrong. You define your life by all the hurtful things um, that have been done to you. Hey, and, and everybody's had rough stuff. There's no doubt about it. And some, some has been traumatic and tragic. There's no doubt about it. But even on your worst, worst day, I promise you that Jesus has done more for you that is better. He really has. And for our lives, if we're going to move into the tomorrow that God has for us, we've got to understand that our focus has to be different. Look at verse 6. It says this. For the mind set on the flesh is dead, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. As one commentator wrote, as I was reading and studying this week, he said, he summarized that verse this way. He said, the person with their mind set on the flesh is spiritually dead in the water. In other words, if you're consumed with things of the flesh, the things of this world, the things that are all about you, you are spiritually dead in the water. As long as you're not focusing on the things of God, your life is going to take a level uh, of satisfaction, of living and joy that is just going to keep bottoming out over and over and over again because you've set your mind on the wrong thing. How do we change? We change by the, we transform by the renewing of our mind according to Scripture. In other words, we have an open invitation from God to look at life differently, to change life, to transform. How do you transform? By the renewing your mind. In other words, you begin thinking differently. Of course, the rest of that verse is important as well because it reminds us that if our mind is set on the Spirit, we're very much alive and we're at peace with God. And that's what we want to be. The mission of the uh, San Francisco Exploratorium according to their mission statement, is to ignite curiosity, encourage exploration, and change the world the way the world learns. In keeping with their mission, they tried an experiment. I want you to stay with me on this, because this experiment speaks volumes about you and me. In their experiment, they did a secret study with unsuspecting guests that came to the museum. Their participants randomly selected were asked two questions question one was this what is the height of the highest redwood tree more or less than 1200 feet that was the first question the second question was what is your best guess about the height of the tallest redwood tree that's what I asked a second group of people, they asked two questions as well. These two participants, they were asked the same question with different numbers. The question they were asked is first, is the height of the highest redwood tree more or less than 180 feet? And the second question they were asked is, what is your best guess about the height of the tallest redwood? See, the two differences are the markers that are there in each question. One was asked about the highest height being more or less than 1,200 feet. The others ask, is it higher, more or less than 180 feet? In psychology, those are called anchors. 
those anchors greatly impact how they were going to answer the question. See, those who were given an anchor of 1,200 feet, and then they said, how high do you think the tree is? Their answer was, out on the average, 844 feet. That's what they said, the average height of a redwood was, 844 feet. Those that were given the anchor of 180 feet guessed 282 feet. A redwood's 282 feet. What was the difference in the two? Well, as the question was laid out, the parameter of one was bigger, 1,200, as opposed to the smaller one of 180. The difference in what they suggested, the difference in the averages between 844 feet and 282 feet is 562 feet. That's 55%. There was a 55% difference in the answer that people randomly gave simply because of the way the question was framed. And people answered and responded based upon that anchor. That's what psychologists call the anchoring effect. Let me summarize it for you. Simply put, it means that we live our lives and rely too heavily on the first fact, the first voice, the first price, the first statement, or the first impression that we have. And that first voice, price, impression, statement becomes our baseline. That becomes our starting point. And after that happens, and everything that we do, up or down, starts at that point. And once we anchor to it, we've established the baseline of our lives. Now, in case you're curious, redwoods, on the average, um, around the girth of the tree is about 22 feet. And the average height of a redwood is 360 feet. So they were all over the planet with the question. Anyway, back to anchoring. Retailers do it to you all the time. You walk in a store and you pay $50 for a $50 item. You needed it, you don't feel good about it, but you paid it. Now, if you walk in the store and you pay $50 for the same item, but it's listed as 20% off, now you've got a deal. See, you feel better about yourself. Even though the retailer raised it 20% before he lowered it. You feel like you got a deal. You feel like maybe I ought to get another one. They're giving them away here. Because why? You got 20% off. Why? Because they set the baseline up here. You pay below it. You feel better about yourself. That's the way we operate. Savvy retailers understand that. It's been happening through all of history. How do I know? Because here's what you have to understand about this. And this is really important for you. The anchoring effect works in your life, and you know who's better at it than anybody else? Satan. Because in the Garden of Eden, Satan, in the form of a serpent, got Adam and Eve to anchor to the one tree they couldn't eat from at the expense of every other tree out there that they had available to them. See, Satan got in their head, and their baseline became the one thing I couldn't have. Instead of the entire garden that I'm allowed to have. And a result for Adam and Eve, they became so fixated on that baseline, the anchor of this is one I must have, that they lost sight of all the other stuff that they did have available. All the other good things that were surrounded in the garden. All those other things that they could tend and take care of and get fruit from and have this relationship with God. Instead, they became focused and anchored to the tree they could not eat from. 
And because they anchored to that, and because that became the baseline, that became their standard for how they evaluated everything else. And as a result, they didn't anchor to the promise and possibility of God. They anchored to a tree that they weren't allowed to have. You know what happened, right? I mean, they sin. We get, they get kicked out of the garden. As a result of that, we uh, struggle for the rest of our life. And where you drop your anchor in life is going to dictate your outcome. And you do it all the time. You do it mentally. Some of you have dropped your anchor mentally in a spot, and you will not move from that spot. Some of you have dropped it physically. This is where you are. This is how you are. You're not going to do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. Some of you have dropped your anchor emotionally. This has been done to me. I've been hurt. I can't move beyond this. I just can't move beyond it. I'm anchored here. I'll never move. Your choice. And when you drop anchor, it will dictate the outcome of your life every day after that. And if you've anchored to anything except the goodness and the bigness of God, I promise you, your life will not be what it's supposed to be. And you'll be stuck in yesterday. And you'll miss tomorrow. And some people have dropped anchor in the wrong place. Some of you may have dropped anchor in the wrong place way too early for all the wrong reasons. Hebrews 6.19 says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. He enters in a sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews refers to hope as our anchor. We anchor to the hope that Jesus gives. A ship uses an anchor, not just to hold its spot in the ocean, but anybody that's navigated a boat through tricky water will tell you they'll throw that anchor out at times to hold the position in front of the boat so you can pull toward it, pull it back up, and move forward again. See, in some ways, your anchor, hope, is how you navigate the class five waters and turmoil of life. What you anchor to who you anchor to is going to determine every outcome behind it. If your emotions are anchored to your circumstances, if you anchor your life and emotions to what's going on around you, let me tell you what your life's going to look like. It's going to look like the stock exchange on a bad week. Highs and lows, baby. You're going to ride those highs and lows, and that's what you're going to do because you've anchored your emotion, how you feel to what's going on around you. And you know what? You can't change your circumstances. Can't make other people behave differently. Can't change what they do. But if you anchor your emotion to that, then you're on a roller coaster ride. You'll have wins, you'll have crashes. If you anchor your emotions to the cross, and allow that to filter to an empty tomb, that becomes your fixed point of grace. That becomes that fixed point of hope. That becomes that fixed place where you define who you are. If you've made peace with God, then your life is now defined by what Jesus has done for you, how he has created you, who he has made you to be, and what you're going to become depends upon that. And that will bring order to your soul, order to your day, order to your world. And if you don't have it, I dare suggest to you, you need to check where you've placed your anchor. Because we spend so much of our life worrying about, well, I've got to fix this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I need to take care of this. 
Move your anchor. Anchor to what matters. Anchor to who Jesus is and what he's done. Anchor to the way that he's designed you. Anchor to what he thinks about you. Anchor to what he is and who he is so that you can be who you are created to be. The best version of yourself. Anything else that you anchor to that is not Jesus robs you of being that best version of yourself. I don't know anybody that's exempt from that. Nobody. Not saying partially anchor to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't play the partiality game. He's not one of many. He is the one and only. He's not one of a bunch. He is the only one. And you have to decide who you want to anchor to. Philippians 4, 6 or 7 says this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the best part of the verse. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, but my heart's in turmoil, my mind's crazy. I know. You know why? You're human. Ah, but if you don't want it to be that way, anchor to who can guard your heart and mind and change your look at life. The verse says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. That word mindset means to anchor one's mind to something. To fix your mind on something. It doesn't happen by accident. It is an intentional choice. It comes with great effort sometimes. You have to make yourself do it. We've challenged you over and over again through the series. Count your blessings. Have you done it? One of the reasons we do that is so when you start counting your blessings, you begin realizing what God has done for you. You begin to see how life is different, how life is better, how God has created you to live. It's the anchoring effect. It keeps you focused on what you're thankful for, what you're grateful for, not what you're frustrated about. Because gratitude is a mindset. Humility is a mindset. Generosity is a mindset. Courage is a mindset. And so is everything else. Where you drop anchor... And every area of life matters a lot. I know that all of you will remember the Elephant in the Room series. I know you often talk about it, think about it, dream about it. It was so awesome. And you know, I said in life we find moments where we face the impossible. We actually face moments that are just so big we can't do anything about them. But then all of a sudden when we begin looking at them close, those impossible moments become mm, improbable. It's so big, you know you can't do it without God. But all of a sudden you begin formulating a plan of, you know, how do I get to that thing that seems to be so impossible? And it becomes improbable. And then the more that you work on the improbable, all of a sudden you begin to see it begins to click into place. You say, oh, but God's got a hand in this. This improbable thing is now inevitable. And so there's a cycle. You move from impossible to improbable to inevitable. Uh, I mentioned it also in the second part of this series called the Tomorrow User Agreement. I know you remember that as well. Often quoted, you talk to all your friends about it. I know, I know, you talk about it all the time. But that is a way of looking at life, bless you, a way of dealing with life. We've been hinting at this now for six weeks. And some of you are about to just yell at me because you're thinking I'm never going to show you anything. I want to show you something this morning. Let me take a look at the screen here in just a second. 
because we've been here now long enough. We are looking around at some things. We know that God is doing some amazing things here. And so we have this dream, this desire that we want to share with you. And it's an impossible dream. Sort of. Take a look at the screen. Right where you are right now is that heart. And what we're doing is we're blowing out an aerial of what is a footprint for a building expansion that we're getting ready to start in the days ahead. Where you are right now is just going to be a small part of what ultimately is going to look like this. That will be the front entrance. It looks a little different than it does right now. In a minute, we're going to show you a secondary entrance. In this particular thing that we have been working on and designing, there's something for everybody. I mean, where you are right now, believe it or not, this is where our kids are going to be playing indoors and this is where they're going to have a stage area and do children's worship. Yeah, that, it's going to be, it'd be awesome. This building will be a kid's wing. Right outside those windows, there's going to be a playground that will connect to another building. There's going to be a youth wing in this new facility. There's going to be new education space. There's going to be a place where you can come to worship and meet for the first time the people who come at 9 o'clock. <laughs> the 9 o'clock crowd's really not excited about meeting you. They've heard your reputation. They're afraid of you. So we got to work through that. But we got all summer. Um, it also has a gymnasium. It's designed to be a community spot. We are trying to take back the center of Winter Springs. We want to be this place to be the spot that people think of when they think of Winter Springs. We are the church at 434. Not any church. The church. We are the church at 434. We're not the last Baptist church down the street. That's that piddly diddly first Baptist church of Longwood. Down here at the other end of 434, they used to be first Oviedo, but when we changed our name, they changed their name because they're copycats. So we are the church at 434. I don't even know where they changed their name to down the street. And we want that to be your anchor point. Let me tell you something about that building. It's too big. It's impossible. When I saw the drawings of it for the first time, they laid out on a table in the office for two weeks because it was, was midweek. No one was around. I prayed over them every morning. Put my hands on them. Spiritually laid my head on them. Said, God, get this in my head. This is what we're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, the plan began to emerge and began to develop. And all of a sudden, boy, that impossible. All of a sudden, it became improbable. But there's a plan. And the more that we work the plan, I can honestly tell you, it's It's inevitable. But see, I could have told you that what we're going to build is that little shed outside with the camo netting around it. And you spend all summer thinking, well, well that's what we're going to build. That's not going to be too exciting. That's not going to be fun. That's not going to be hard. That's not going to be big. I don't want you to anchor there. I want you to anchor something that's bigger than you are because if that gets built, you're not going to do it. God's going to do it. And if we're going to get there, God's going to be the one that gets us there. And it's going to be an experience unlike anything you've ever gone through before. They told us when we were getting ready to lay this thing out, you don't, you don't lay out a building plan. In the, you wait till the fall to lay out what the building's going to look like. Because summer, nothing happens in the summer. Everyone shuts down. But I said, but we have big summers here at 434. Oh, no, but summer's when everybody shuts down. It's a tor- horrible time. It's the worst time to lay out and show people the new building. That's why we were doing it. 
because if God's got his hand in it, and he does, we're going to get there. So we're going to spend all summer long, and you're going to see more and more. You're going to have opportunities to talk. We're going to get feedback. You're going to hear about it. You're going to see an amazing floor plan to it. All that's coming, and all that is work in progress right now. But this is where we start. That's where you anchor to. And everything that we do, above or below it, anchors from that. Because we're going to build that, but here's the other thing. We're going to build that, but we're not going to stop doing what we do. Because our ministry is not going to be building a building and funding it. Our ministry is going to be taking this church outside the walls and becoming that hub, that place where the community thinks of, when they think of Winter Springs, they will think of Jesus Christ because they'll think of us. It'll be a place for families. Be a place for seniors. Be a safe place for kids. Be a place where I can hang out. It's going to be a place where you can discover and grow and become that best version of yourself. So that's why we show you that picture. Because that's a starting point. That's our anchor point. See, wherever you put your anchor is where you grow from. You want to be a blessing? You've got to put your anchor in the right spot. You're going to impact the world? Gotta put your anchor in the right spot. And you anchor to Jesus and you define who you are by what he's done for you and what he's created you to be. Let me give you a second thing. Finding tomorrow in the stuff of today, because you start where you are. Look at verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, when you make the choice to hold on to the promises of God, you start living your life differently because that's what defines you. Well, how do you do that? Well, I mean, you're in church. So, I mean, I, I got to get, get spiritual here for a minute. You, if you want to anchor your life to Jesus, you've got to spend time in his word. I mean, if, thi- if this is the only thing all week long that you do in God's word is listen to me read the passage and talk about it, then that's not enough. I mean, this should be supplemental to what you're doing because every day you should be spending time in his word. You've got to learn to express gratitude. You've got to learn to be thankful for what he's done. You can't spend your life griping and whining and complaining about all that's wrong and all that's not right. Because if you do that, that will define your life. That will shape your life. That becomes who you are. And you know what? No one wants to be around that. And you know what else? You don't want to be around it either. And you're going to look in the mirror and you won't like you. You don't have to live that way. You can live differently. And then you've got to find a way to start scoring some wins in your very own zip code. In other words, in the orbit that you're in, in the places that God places you, you are going to bless people there where you are is where God wants to use you. See, we always want God to do something with us and take us somewhere else and, and, and do it bigger. Do it bigger. You, you, you may be the Billy Graham of your neighborhood. As Billy's gone, so we need another one. But you have a call that's there in the places around the people that you're with. And when you do that, then you will become different. And your life will change. Psychologists tell us that 98% of our thoughts are habitual. In other words, today you're going to have the same thoughts you had yesterday, and you're going to have the same thoughts you had the day before, 
and then the same thoughts you had the day before, and the day before, and the day before. And here's what I want you to hear me say. If you're going to anchor to God, that doesn't cut it. Because you're to transform by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you've got to learn to think differently. How do you think differently? You have to start thinking the things of God. You have to start getting into God's word. You have to start doing what we just talked about. Because if you do not, then nothing ever changes. The same habits are going to be there day after day after day. You can't keep thinking the same thing in the same ways and expect to feel any different. And some of you are just running a hamster wheel. It's never getting better. Because you're not anchoring to the right thing. One of the ways you shift this is you decide you're going to become a lifelong learner. You're going to become an expert in the things of God. You're going to learn about Jesus. You're going to learn about what he says, what he does, how he works, how he works in your life, how he works in your world. And you never stop learning and you never stop growing. The Cleveland Clinic takes what I just gave you one step further. It says that 80% of our thoughts are negative. 80% of the thoughts we have are negative. So 98% are habitual. 80% statistically are negative. That means that you're filling your life every single day over and over and over again with the negative stuff. And when you verbalize them, that's even worse. It compounds the problem. And it will leave you depressed and angry and frustrated. And so I'm going to say something to you that's going to be wildly offensive. But hey, I just showed you a new building. So now I will offend you. For the love of God. For the sake of God. If you have a negative thought, keep your mouth shut don't let it out keep it in swallow it because no one needs to hear it you're not going to be healthier when you say it and no one around you is going to be better because you shared it with them and no one wants you to share it with them and so here's the challenge every time you have a negative thought and you can do this if you'll choose to do it Every time you have a negative thought, replace it with a promise of God. And you know what's going to happen? The negative thought will disappear. Why? Because that ugly side can't stay with that good side. That ugliness that doesn't come from God cannot share space with the godliness. If you'll take the negative thought and replace it with the promise of God, you will, in very practical ways, Start thinking differently by choice. That's from now what, by the way? Take every negative thought and every time you have one, replace it with the promise of God. I said at 9 o'clock, it's already, it's already prompted questions and emails. How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? I, I didn't realize I was going to be starting that all week, but I guess that's going to be the week. Okay, this is how it works in this situation. This is how it works in this situation. I think you can do it this way in this situation. But if you will work to do that, that will change the way that you look at everything around you and that will change the way that you navigate life. The passage again, verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, he lives and dwells within you. And you're alive, really alive. 
When you're really alive, that changes everything and everything is different. Einstein said one time, there's only two ways to live life. One is if nothing is a miracle. The other way is if everything is a miracle. And I want you to know you're miraculous. You sit there and you're loaded with potential. You are a creation, a designer piece created by the Most High God to touch and change the world with His love. And when the Spirit begins to work in you, it brings life. And that life is contagious. And then and only then will you not miss tomorrow. A few years ago, a school system decided that they were going to pull off what was a rather ingenious experiment. Three teachers were chosen to pilot what was a special program. This was reported twice, two different times in Success Magazine. It was repeated. The teachers were brought in. The three teachers were brought in and said, you are the best that we have. You are the cream of the crop. You are the teacher of all teachers. And what we're going to do to you is we're going to give to you 90 high-level learning students. We're going to give you the cream of the crop. And we're going to give you the freedom to move at their pace, to stay out of your way, to let you teach them any way you see fit. And we're going to check the progress that you make with this very elite group of students because you're our elite teachers by the end of the year. Teacher said, all right. We're all in on that. By the end of the year, those 90 specially selected students had achieved 20 to 30% more than the rest of the school district. They just advanced at such a greater rate. And so at the end of the year evaluation, the superintendent called the teachers back together and said, I have a confession to make to you. You did not get high 90 high-level learners. What we gave you is a group of average students. We selected them by pulling their names, literally pulling their names out of a hat. You just thought they were high-level students. Most were average. But yet, look at the progress you made. And the teachers were pumped, high-fiving. Oh, look what we did, look what we did. Superintendent said, we have much to celebrate. Oh, but wait, I have one more confession to make. You were chosen. Not because you're an elite teacher. Not because you're a high-performing teacher. You were chosen the same way the students were. We simply pulled your name out of a hat and told you you were great. What happened? How did they get the results? They got the results because someone said, there's potential in you. And we want to unleash that potential. That's how average becomes exceptional. They were able, able to tap into potential that was already always there. It was just being unused. You know who modeled that? Jesus. Go back and read scripture. Pharisees treated people as they were. Dumb, ignorant, non-spiritual, not as smart as they were, low expectations, rule breakers, always going to try to push the limits. Pharisees were responsible for giving religious rule to a bunch of losers that didn't want it. And that's how the Pharisees dealt with people. 
And the people responded and lived up to that. Jesus steps into the mix. And Jesus dealt with everybody he met. And he treated people as they could be and as they should be. And people were attracted to that. And no one wanted to stay away from him. Except the Pharisees. Because Jesus looked at people and said, in you I see potential. I know what you could be and I know what you should be. I'm going to celebrate that. I'm not going to celebrate what you're not. I'm going to celebrate what you are and what you can be. And that's what happens when you anchor to Jesus. Here's the question. What is your baseline? What is your standard? What is your starting point? For evaluating who you are in life. Do you evaluate your life based on the fact of what Jesus has done for you? Do you see your life as being someone that Jesus loved enough to die for? Are you basing your life upon the fact that he has called you to be something different and you get the opportunity to live in the blessing of God and live life blessed? Because until you anchor to Jesus in that way you'll never have the opportunity to find the tomorrow that he has for you let's pray God you see us you know us you know what makes us tick you know what we're like and there's no one in our world that sees us as we could be or should be but you. And the invitation in your word is clear and it's there over and over again. And it's a choice that we make. Will we anchor to you and trust you to live our tomorrows or will we choose something else to define ourselves by that won't last and won't bring joy and won't allow us to become what you want us to be? Lord, there are some who've never made the decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus. They've never accepted you at your word and recognize that you did die on the cross for our sins. They haven't anchored their life to an empty tomb that says our sins are forgiven and we can have life. And if they're in this room, I pray that before they would leave this morning that they would simply share with us on a worship flyer and say, I, I want to accept Jesus as Savior. I want to believe, trust, and follow him. And drop it in a given kiosk on the way out the door. If they're watching online right now, live, or they're streaming it later, they can stop and send us an email and say, I want to know Jesus. And give us the honor of walking alongside them and making that happen. Lord, there's others in the room that just need to know you better. And this morning, if, if, if they need help with that, if they would just drop us a note and say, hey, just give me some suggestions. Help me understand a few things better. Let us know that. Give us a chance to respond and try to help best we can. Because, Lord, for many of us in this room, we know you. But if we were honest we would admit that we haven't done a great job of anchoring our life to you. 
And although we didn't intend it, it is our choice. And we don't even understand it when we focus on all the other things that don't matter as much and won't bring us joy and won't get us where we need to be. When our focus is there, it's not on you. And we open the door for Satan once again to play his greatest trick of all, getting us to anchor to the wrong thing and robbing us of the joy of all that you've done. We don't want to live life that way. We want to be better than that. And the world that we live in needs us to be better than that. So help us this day to unleash the spirit of tomorrow in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.